everyone. Welcome to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. We're here today to talk about some of the experiences of international students. And we have a couple of guests on the show that are going to share some of their experiences and some of their knowledge about what universities maybe could learn about international students and serving the needs of international students. My name is Jacqueline Kirk and I am in the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration in the Faculty of Education at Brandon University. And I'm just going to ask each of the people to introduce themselves and maybe we'll just go around the table. So you can go ahead next. Okay, thank you. So my name is Chuku Anugo Okudo, but you can always call me Anugo, that's much better. And I am in uh, computer science and I'm also in my final year. And in addition to extracurricular activities, I'm also with the Brandon University Students Union. The president of the Brandon University <laughs> yeah. Students Union. Yes, the president of the Brandon <laughs> University <laughs> Students Union. Too humble, I don't want to say. I'm Michelle Lam, I'm the director of BU Cares and uh, faculty member in curriculum and pedagogy. I am Welly. It's like Kelly, but with a W. <laughs> I am a PhD student from McGill University. And uh, that's all I'll say for now. I'll say more later. Sounds good. Excellent. I'll ask the first question. How can faculty members enhance their teaching to better respond to the needs of international students? particularly those from marginalized or racialized backgrounds? And why is this important within post-secondary institutions? And I'll just ask both of you and whoever wants to start, just go ahead. And we'll try to keep it just like a natural conversation. Did you want to first? I can do my best, yeah. <laughs> so I think over the summer we did talk a little bit about this and I know we'll probably get to that later, but we did have a teaching enhancement conversation organized by Kurt and, yes, Kurt and his team, which was great, by the way. So there we discussed a few things like how the teacher or the professors could help the students establish more connection in class. So I did make a few recommendations like the prof actively engaging with the students, and it sounds broad. But uh, there are things that we did pinpoint, and by that it was more like first day of class, first thing everyone wants to do is start teaching the content, talk about Moodle and other things that we use for learning. We, I did advise that it would be nice if we get to have a conversation with our students first, and by that it could be a five minutes activity or ten, depending on how much time you have. And I know a big class could be a challenge. And if you are in a big class, you might need to be in a smaller group to do it. And you still achieve the same goal. And another thing that came to me was that would be midway class. That would be maybe in the middle of the semester or things like that. Because of the sense of anonymity, people probably don't want to put their name out there when they ask certain questions or do certain things. We do have apps or websites that you can use to also make the class interactive. Hmm. I think one, I can't recall it off the top of my head, but it's almost similar to Kahoot's and you can use that to just keep your class engaged. 
I know for international students it's a bit tricky because we're coming from a different background and we just need a little bit more sometimes. And again, it's also a skill on the side of the professor to implement such activity or do such things. So for the international students, it's more of getting them involved as well because most times these students are not going to talk to each other or try to know who their fellow classmates are. So best to just be the one to strike the conversation, be the one to push them, in even to say push them. So be the one to put them out there and get them to engage with one another and get it all going. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I would, I definitely agree with that. And I would say that a lot of times, even if profs do make their classes a little bit more interactive, there seems to still be like a disconnect between the prof and the students. From my understanding, I think I would advise people who are looking at hiring professors to change their questions a little bit. Ask the professors what their teaching strategies are to make sure that the learning feels inclusive and responsive to the students who are physically in the classroom. And I think that a lot of the times, the reason why I bring this up is because universities are, rightfully to a certain extent, concerned about research output from profs. Yeah. So profs get hired for mainly the purpose of producing research and bringing in funding and so on. And obviously this work is very important, but I think more questions need to be asked as to their facilitative approaches, approaches to teaching, approaches to learning, maybe some values that they have, maybe some ethics that they observe, maybe some practices that they have taken on that they know, given from feedback from students, are working. So I think shifting that conversation and being part of some of those committees and having sat into those job talks, I can see that those questions are starting to be asked which is amazing, and I can only hope that they start to take up a little bit more space as we start to realize that ultimately the people who are in your classroom are learners just as much as you once were. So the learning experience that you wish you had, let's talk about that. Try to bring that into the classroom so that you don't perpetuate this weird cycle of coldness that all of a sudden happens when you get to university. <laughs> because it feels cold. Like as international students, we come from like some type of warmth. Like I've, well, I went, to, the, yeah. I went to French schools. Um, so, you know, the climate was a little bit, the French schools at the time were still very much behind. They were still, the colonial feeling was still very much there. And so coming here, you find the camaraderie with fellow international students, but then you get to class sudden you're just a student again it's, oh, I was hoping that being at the university in this completely new different world that the dynamics would be different and that we would be seen also as knowledge holders and not just as students we are international folk who come from like diverse backgrounds and we have inherited knowledge on top of academic knowledge yet we're engaged with especially at the BEd level as high school students still a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just looking over at those questions. It's interesting. This is a topic that's really interesting to me. 
And one of the things I didn't say in my introduction is that I'm the chair of grad studies. And we have probably the largest number of international students in our building are in grad studies rather than in undergraduate. Mm -hmm. And so trying to build connections with and for international students has been one of the areas of focus that I've tried to take up and <laughs> tried to take it up just by being myself and trying to be uh, light and make sure that people have fun when they come to my class, mm -hmm. that we play together. And so some things like we, so this week we had a gathering just with food and to answer questions or to see what things we could support. Next week, both of our face-to-face -face graduate classes meet on Tuesday nights, so we're having pizza before class. But for the local students as well as the international students, but a lot of the focus is in trying to build relationships and build connections for the international students who are new to Brandon. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in some of the ideas that you have for taking that further because it's something that I really care about. That's true. That phrase about it being cold mm -hmm. is literally the title of a paper that I published out of my dissertation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's cold here. That's how it <laughs> begins. And that was a quote from a participant. Exactly what you said. Like, when we come, we feel like it's cold. And not just, like, environment mm -hmm. cold, but the people are cold. Yeah. And, yeah. And I guess the environment, like, breeds and in a way confirms the imposter syndrome that we have a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Because international students coming here, it's not a light decision that was made. Mm -hmm. Depending on... Uh, you know, a person's context that might have been, you know, like huge sacrifices and so on. So coming in here and feeling so alienated and feeling, oh, do I, should I even be here? I don't know. There's a lot of pressure and I'm not seen in the classroom. It just harbors this, this weight that I don't think students should have at any level. Mm -hmm. You've done research on this. Is mm -hmm. this your PhD mm -hmm. research that yeah. you're going through? So do you want to share some of the key findings? We've talked a little bit about strategies, but anything mm -hmm. else you want to share around that? My PhD, okay, it's about, I like to say it like this. I like to say that I'm gutting a specific teacher education program and putting cultural responsiveness in its core so that it what operates energy. from that. Yeah. Because... So far, it feels like, and the program that I'm working with is very new, so I'm giving it a lot of grace. And it's meant to be intensive, so it's meant to be very short, which then means that compromises have to be made, and there are also some external factors that come in. If we know that a certain prof has been hired to teach a certain class, are they available to even teach it when it would be best for students to receive it in terms of the timeline? So let's say... If you were being prepped to teach ESL, English as a second language, but then the prof that's teaching, teaching grammar is not available for the first semester, you'll have to learn it in the second semester after you've already done your internship. It's a little awkward, but it's just one of those things, external factors. But 
I would say that from all the work that I've done leading up to this, because this doesn't op operate in a silo, my first introduction to that type of work has been in adding the ADI consideration section in one of the most important documents that students use in our faculty. It's the learning templates. So every single student at the Faculty of Education has to use this document throughout their degree, regardless of what their degree is. And it's the document that they use when they write up lesson plans and unit plans. Mm -hmm. So it gives space for the structure of the lesson and then on the side, like a reflection, like what's the goal, what do you want students to learn, so on and so forth. Is it adequate for students who have any type of impairment, maybe auditory, maybe so on. But there's nothing about EDI. There's nothing about considerations of cultural diversity in the classroom. So when you don't have a section like that, profs do not offer feedback specific to that and explicit to that. And so what happens is students will graduate and they'll feel super great. And then they'll go into the schools and they'll be like, wait, oh my God, how do I how do I engage in difficult conversations with my students when a debate occurs and it's about race? Mm -hmm. How do I navigate these conversations? Yes, you get to do internships and you work with a cooperative teacher. Sometimes those are amazing experiences. Sometimes they're not so amazing. But either way, it's not really the space where you get to explore that as a professional because you're still in training. So I added, with the help of amazing allies, I added that section and already the response was, oh, this is great, this is amazing. But then the engagement with the section was a little bit less. So the ideas are great, the implementations, it's, oh, I don't know if we have the space to have this conversation with the profs, and I don't know if... So there's a little bit of, not necessarily pushback, but the engagement is not as hard as I would hope it to be. And I find that it's similar-ish with the EDI workshops that I give that I call beloved communities. So they are meant to tackle these topics, microaggressions, tokenism, positionality, and neutrality, so-called, in the classroom. And they are open to everyone, but I highly recommend faculty to show up mm -hmm. to them. And the turnout has been great. Mostly students would come, though, and non-academics. Faculty, and again, context is very important. Faculty have a lot on their plate, so they can't all show. So I'm still trying to find the way to make it more explicitly open to everyone. The feedback that I've received is like, oh, I thought this was a student thing. Mm -hmm. You should come too. <laughs> Just trying to see how I can best connect with with faculty in a way that is welcoming because I don't believe in bullying people into coming into these spaces. I don't think that's productive at all. And I respect the workload that everyone has. Like it's, but finding ways to connect better so that they show up authentically mm -hmm. so that the workshop is productive. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. really like that idea of making it explicit that this is mm -hmm. expected, that you're engaging with EDI content right in yeah. all of the things going through. It's wonderful. And you've done a lot of work with the Teaching Enhancement mm -hmm. Conference and workshops with faculty as well. So that's 
nice segue. <laughs> I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and what you presented around the need for culturally responsive pedagogy. Yes. That I wouldn't <laughs> use the word pedagogy. Okay. So, but yeah, maybe how, do you want to share about that? How yeah. we can apply those? So I'm in the conference, the faculty, they were really keen to learn and understand how to better help international students. Mm -hmm. And yes, the question or the concern for like, culturally related or just respecting their culture also came up and I think one of the things we ended up uh, concluding on was more of don't assume and we did make sure or just try to put it out there that it's okay to just ask the question and get to understand what works for the student or ask what is your name what do you like where are you from I think sometimes we are we're a bit scared to ask that question because we don't want to be painted as maybe racist sometimes by asking or I, I think when I say asking, just going with the flow instead of actually confirming. So you just probably don't want to pry a little bit more. So you just, it's okay to actually ask the question and confirm, okay, where are you coming from? And get to know your student, get to know who you're working with. And that way you can probably get a better flow in your classrooms. I think that's one of the things that we did mention. Also, I think we also brought up going to workshops and getting them to go out there and gain more education because it's something that helps them, not just in their class, in the long run as well. So getting to do that workshop education and building yourself to understand how these things work, it also goes a long way for you to better and foster a stronger relationship with your students. I think on the faculty side, that was one of the major concerns we did have. And again, it was more of the faculty or professors trying to push more for this because the students might have concerns that they do not know of and they just keep it to themselves mm -hmm. and of course they don't do well in class or they don't um, succeed so mm -hmm. it's better when you get to make your class a little bit more lively for the students get them to feel the need that this is an open and welcoming space that mm -hmm. people can come into and feel comfortable to interact as long as it's all reasonable and you keep it professional I guess that's the word mm -hmm. But just make it open because usually I think there's tension around classrooms that everything is just built around, okay, let's just go and study, let's just go and read. And there is no form of participation, there is no form of getting to understand your classmates or the professor. So the professor sharing an experience and getting to open up to with what they're comfortable sharing with their fellow, or not their fellow, with their students is pretty good. Yeah. It makes me think of the aspect of connecting with, with the students and getting to know a bit more about who they are. It makes me think of a tool that I've been taught actually in the education program I'm trying to better, and it's called a student profile. And uh, we were encouraged to come up with a series of questions that are get to know you type of things, and but still open-ended though. So it allows the student to share what they're willing to share so not so much yes and no and I found that if if faculties could do that too I think that would be such an amazing great start yeah mm -hmm. is that something you can share 
Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. We'll 100%. share it and I'll link it underneath and then everyone listening can. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, yeah. So it's unfortunately it was spread out uh, in the courses that I took, but I happen to have solid memory. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I wrote them all again for another student who was seeking a little bit of guidance. So I could totally forward that up to you. That it's good. an open Google Doc. Change it as we will. Awesome. Just open questions. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. So I think anything else that you'd like to add? Do you have a vision for going forward for what the future might look for us and what we need to do to actualize that, those goals looking forward? I think for me, coming from the Quebec context specifically, I, w I was just telling, I can't remember who I was telling this, but uh, this province is, is very advanced compared to Quebec. Is it? Oh my God. Oh, do we hear that often? <laughs> Manitoba is advanced. I, coming from me, just seeing, physically seeing the decolonial work uh -huh. and like how easy it is to have this conversation and how you know oh. in in an institution specifically great i was like oh my god yeah. we can learn but that's not to say that i haven't received any type of support whatsoever that's actually quite the opposite i've i think that when we as students are able to connect with faculty members and really share our vision I think that's the way that we truly get people on board because it, that's the way that we build community and that's the way that we build allyship. If it wasn't for the faculty members who helped me out, I could have never had a student art exhibit series that sold out at the first venue. I couldn't have the EDI workshops that I'm doing. No one would show up. I wouldn't be able to have had the EDI section. I wouldn't be able to the list goes on and I think that nurturing this community is how we're going to get the vision and the goal to come true. We can't do the work alone and I sincerely think that like, trying to create this beloved community where we see expertise more as horizontal than vertical will help a lot because we come into like spaces as students and that's like the overwhelming label that we have, as opposed to activists or whatever label that we would prefer to have, the light that we would prefer to be seen in. So in terms of my vision, I'm hoping to see, to continue to see changes in historically very colonial institutions. I come from McGill and there's still a lot of work to be done, obviously, but work has been done. And I'm hoping to see the embodiment of like, this construction of what the classroom is supposed to look like, what is learning supposed to look like, who are our students to us, who are we to the students. Yeah, and I think that just comes from keeping that community bond and the allyships, the relationships that we build. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely agree with Wally on this as well. For my hopes and vision, yeah. mine is more of um, making sure that or ensuring that there is more inclusion uh, for the student aspect of things uh, in the long run. And this also goes as deep as going through policies that uh, shows a lot of underrepresentation there and making changes to those policies and having that affected that would 
bringing more inclusion and getting that participation out there and still like you did mention decolonizing mm -hmm. and doing more work on that and getting everyone involved as a whole instead of creating that separation so the more we bring ourselves more together or closer the more we'll actually achieve something much better something that sounds like a beloved community perhaps do you want to talk at all about that phrase it's a beautiful phrase yeah bell hooks yeah <laughs> there we go bell hooks and black feminism it's really all about embodying the changes that we hope to see so it's not talking about it and theorizing about it you can start with that but embodying it and doing the work doing overcoming those the challenges that will come from building that beloved community because there will be pushback for any type of reason a pushback that i could think of let's say would be we have all of these initiatives and we have all of these projects but policy says that actually we can't do that or people's ways of knowing a lot of the times people very candidly say oh it's hard to change an old white man's perspective on like how to teach a university classroom unfortunately there is some truth to that because ways of teaching and just engaging in pedagogy has been so ingrained with our colonial legacy that it feels not changeable and so when we try to teach differently in the classroom it's seen as unconventional or controversial or different for example i know like one of my supervisors he's absolutely amazing he's amazing and his class is transformational just transformational he's the first one i think that i have seen operate a classroom in this way and i am not sure if it's context specific he teaches equity in education his name is Dr. Emmanuel Tabi. He's absolutely amazing. I call him my academic father. Um, he's my <laughs> academic dad. And the way that he starts his classes and ends it is with encouraging students to write where I am from poems and where I'm going poems mm -hmm. as a reflective tool to really critically engage with your role and your identity as a teacher and as a human being being responsible for other people's development. And I think that making space for that already is huge. It's huge. By doing that, he is walking the talk. He's doing work. He's making space for that co-constructing of knowledge because he's welcoming his students' identities to be in the classroom. And he's welcoming the intergenerational knowledge that they have and that they bring into these classrooms. So that's an example. My other supervisor as well, Dr. Joe Levitan, is absolutely amazing. And he operates similarly, but with his own kind of take on it. So those conversations of, how are you doing? Where are you coming from? Like he weaves it into his class and it just makes it so organically complete where you don't just learn as a student, but you learn as a change agent. You learn as a human being and you grow. But there are some other profs who will approach the topic like, today we're learning ABC and your assignment is due on this date and you have to bring it in. doesn't matter if they're life circumstances, the homework must come first. It's, and there's difficulty in bringing up those types of teaching styles and be like, do you think maybe we could have classroom discussions, maybe, as opposed to just going through assignments? 
another prof is huge on mental health and it shows the reading break in on on her syllabus it says the reading break is for you to connect with your loved ones and for you to rest mm -hmm. i've never seen this in a syllabus before <laughs> oh my god i thought i had to dedicate my life to this work <laughs> so really embodying what it is that we are trying to see and making that sacrifice because sometimes you will get pushback from maybe higher ups i don't know if this is something that my supervisors have gone through i don't know what people go through but i can only assume when you're operating inside of an such a historical institution there must be some type of feedback there's maybe some type of pushback a little bit and i guess that sacrifice that we should that we have to be willing to make if we're trying to see that change unfortunately and just like you said uh, incorporating the questioning aspect mm -hmm. into the teaching i had one of my prof actually get as a student as you're coming and you write your name not your name but like your country where you're from mm -hmm. on the board or something unique or your favorite thing about yourself on the board and just one word or two words so get everyone to write it and that way we just start the engagement process of things mm -hmm. so that's another way to just open it up and even if no one is talking you already make life there is an activity to do as you enter the class something engaging which is quite unique and it's not something you see everywhere so it's good when you have such things practiced and like i said again it's a skill it's not something that everyone's just going to hop in and start doing sometimes it takes time but it would be nice if it's incorporated in classrooms yeah we're not just brains in desks right like we're mm -hmm. <coughs> whole people with communities around us what a great conversation really good <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share i can't think of anything <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. We appreciate the conversation and I think you're speaking to both of our hearts as well. And mm -hmm. I know Jackie's been talking about this topic for a mm -hmm. long time. <laughs> and I always admire that about your classes as well, Jackie. Just Thank how you, Jackie. engaged you make them. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.